This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Right, everybody, let's start. Parsha Kedoshim 5783. The Pusik is toward the end of the Parsha Parakutas, Pasuk Chas in Kedoshim. It says, A scratch on yourself. You should not put in your flesh. And a tattoo, the writing of a tattoo, you cannot put on yourself, I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a couple things we're going to talk about today. One of those is the connection between these two things in the Pasuk. It seems like they're a little bit different from one another. One is scratching yourself for the dead, which we talk about in other places, Lotis go to do, in Parsh Devarim specifically, and by specifically Re'e. And then, Ksovis Kaka, this tattoo, what exactly is happening over here? So Rashi, first of all, says that this is what the Amori used to do. The Amori, those of the nations, the Canaan, etc., they would cut themselves when one of the relatives died to show their pain and their sadness. It includes a tattoo, really, according to Rashi. It's defined by Rashi as writing that is engraved and embedded in the flesh, set in a place to the point where it can never be erased, where it's scratched into a point where you cannot get rid of it. It's done by using a needle that darkens the area and it remains that way forever. Obviously, they have a more sophisticated way of doing that now with tattooing, but that's the basic idea of getting so far into the dermis, the skin of the person, that it goes all the way in and stays inside there. Now Rashi then says that kaka, that word of kakea, kuf ayin, kuf ayin, is related to the word vahokanum, or osam, that they were hanged, that they were stuck in the ground. And what that means is you stick a piece of wood in the land and then you hang a person on top of it, it looks like the pole is stuck into the ground itself. And that's really where it comes from, that the kakea, this tattoo, is stuck into the arm to the point where you can't get rid of it. Xavah Kabbalah also talks about this world word he says, Bateka, which is used in the fight between the Malach of Esav and Yaakov Vinu, right, that he hit him so hard that it went into the inside of the leg and it hit him. That's the idea behind it. The Ibn Ezra again says these two parts of the Pasuk, just like Rashi seems to say, are connected to one another. That some people make an impression on their body with a known picture or a sign that's done through fire over somebody that passed away, right? And that's that, something to make marks marks on their faces. They do something to remind themselves of what happened when somebody passed away, and that's the idea behind it. So they're all connected. This idea of the seret, and then the chsovas kakea, the kaka, that idea, they're put together to be able to create one thing together. And the Malbim points out that there seems to be a machlokas here between Rashi and the Rambam. This is pointed out by a few different achronim, but the idea is, what is exactly the isser of a tattoo? Rashi seems to say that, again, ksiva is regular writing, like taking a pen and writing it on your skin itself, which in and of itself is not usher, because you're not doing it for the dead, etc. Srita is what a person does after the ksiva, and doing that srita allows the tattoo to be scratched into the skin, for it to be something that's more permanent. According to the Rambam, it's a little different. Ksiva is when you engrave the letters and the pictures in the skin, and the kufayin, kufayin, the kakea that we have over here, is when you fill it in with ink afterward. In other words, you don't exactly, it's, it, Rashi seems to say the ksiva comes first, and then you have it sinking into the skin, while according to the Rambam, it seems that you're not really doing much, it's more about the ksiva being engraving the letters in, kakea is filling it up with ink. That's the idea. They argue about the order. 
Obviously. Which is going to come first? That's the idea behind it. Now, the Shari Aram says the problem according to Rashi is what would it mean to do a tattoo, the Kufayin Kufayin, without Ksav, which is mentioned in the Gemara. You have such a thing without the Ksav. What would be in such a case? Because according to him, you cannot do one without the other. It's got to be Ksiva and then Kakea. So what could you have that would not be there? So he maybe understands the idea as coloring your skin without writing or drawing anything and then cutting yourself so the ink goes inside, and that might be us, sir. But you're running into real issues. What exactly defines itself as a tattoo? Does it have to be writing? Does it have to be a picture? Is it something specific? Is it something in general? What exactly are we looking for? What are we asking for when you have this idea right over here? All of this is mentioned right over here. Coin of the Bach in Simon Kuf Pei, either way is going to be Chayev. There's a Panim Yafos over here as well, the Hafla that talks about this, and although this is not going to be the stress of this shear, there are huge machlokasim going on and what exactly is the definition what exactly would be machai of a person meaning if a person gets a thing that just has a picture of his mom and he gets that tattoo in his skin is that a chi of raisa or is that a durabanan what exactly are we asking for over here that's a little bit of a shy lechizkuni says you're chai for every srita you make on your skin any scratch even if it's done at the same time for the same mace you could do ten you're high of 10. For each Srita that you make for the mace, if it's done specifically for a person that died, that is what's going to happen. You're going to be high of all of those times. Additionally, he says, you're only high if you do it for a mace, not for a terrible loss of money, not if a, a, a boat sinks or if something else happens, right? Anything like that, you would not be high for because that is not part of this history. A tattoo, right, however, would include putting ashes on a wound to make a permanent scar. Again, this has to do with the machlokas we just set up above. It's not writing. It's not really a picture. But it would include maybe not Dil Raisa, possibly maybe not the actual Isser, but it would include scarring yourself Permanently. The Gemara Makos brings us down to Dapchafalov. It's mentioned by the Moshe's of Canaan here as well. Where Chaim Paltiel surprisingly says, you gotta be careful not to put cool ashes on a cut in your skin. I guess this is what people did, that when they had these like, you know, like paper cuts and these little cuts, they would stick their fingers in cool, cool ashes in order to cool it down. And that was a problem because the ashes would stick into the cut and be there permanently and would stay there for, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't imagine it's there for such a long time. Anybody that's gotten a cut in their skin, even if you put ink on it, like right here, I have right over here, not on purpose, but I promise you I'm not tattooing myself, and now I can't find it. Here, right here. I have something where I got a cut a little bit ago, and then ink got into it. It's like on the side. You can barely see it right there. Eventually, the skin dies off, and eventually that goes away. I can't imagine that that's what he's saying, that that's going to stay there permanently. But maybe it is. Maybe it's a cut that's big enough that scarring will happen. And that, if you're doing it on purpose in order to make that happen, says Rechai Paltiel, that's a problem. In fact, Rebbe Shulam of Nar- Narvona, he's one of the Rishonim as well, he extends from this that you cannot cut your beard with a scissors that is as sharp as a razor since it looks like you're using a razor. And he says the same thing from over here. Just like just sticking your hand in ashes and cooling it down and Mamela scarring it is like a tattoo, so too you can't even cut your beard with the scissors, which by us, by the way, would be like any of our types of shavers, the electric shavers. You wouldn't be able to use any of them, he says, because it looks like you'd use a razor and it has the look of anything else. We obviously don't hold that way, especially with Ramosha. Scissors motion is mutter, but regardless, that's where it is. Either way, it's a very strange psak. It seems to go with the wrong opinion over there in the Gemara Makos, the one that we don't hold of. Right, the Rambam is making about this. The Balei 
Tosos are machmir. It's a strange thing. But that ends the first part of what I want to talk about, which is really like the idea of combining these two and putting them together. The Rokeach mentions a few other things over here that's going to lead us to something completely different. Suita is chayiv for a mace, whether it's done by hand or by an instrument. This also is machlokas in the Gemara, Gedida, Bekli, Suita, Biyad. There's something that's mentioned over there about what you're using for it. While for a Vodazara, it's only chayiv when doing so with a cleave. You cut yourself for a Vodazara with your hand, you're not chayiv. You cut yourself with a knife for Avodah Zarah, that's when you're going to be chayv. The Bechor Shor says the problem to do this for any tsar, he says, with a kli, right? He says it's possible it's not an Israel Raisa, but it would be a problem. Yeah, Shlomo. For Avodah Zarah? Well, if you're doing it for the purposes of Avodah Zarah, like if you remember... Eliyahu Navi, when he brought everybody to Harakarmel and fought against the Ovde Abal. So the Ovde Abal were cutting themselves, the Navi said, to try to get their God to answer. That apparently was part of their system of what they did. Whether that was calling on Shadim or something different, I don't know. But there was something that they cut themselves for in order to get closer to Avodah And the one Raya that we absolutely have is from the Ovde Abal, those people that fought against Eliyahu Navi. Maskil David also goes into it. And he says the following. He says, there's no Chiv but he feels there is an Isser, right? And he says the reason why is because it's mentioned by the tour in Yorodea Simon Kofay, and he uses the word putter. Even though the base Yosef over there says that it actually means mutter, putter is mutter, and he doesn't, he, he says it's the same exact thing. It certainly sounds like putter avalaser. But here's the weird part. There's a weird Gemara. Okay, the Gemara is in Sanhedrin, Samachasim et Aleph. The Gemara is an awesome Gemara because it goes through the greatness of Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, if you'll remember everyone, was a student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He is the next generation after Beis Hillel. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the young, was the youngest or the least of the Talmidim of Hillel. He was one of the 80 possibly in the middle 20, possibly the last of all, the 80. But Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the least or the youngest of them. And he had two famous Talmidim, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah and Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. Both of them were the Rebbeim of Rabbi Akiva. There were issues that happened quite often, one after the other, with Rabbi Eliezer, right? And it happened with Rabbi Eliezer at some point when he got into fights with Rabbi Yoshua about something called the Tanur Shalachanoi, which is mentioned in Bava Metziah Nun Tesema Beis. What happened exactly, Rabbi Lezben Horkis was positive, absolutely positive, that everything in the Tanur Shalachanoi was Tahor, and Rabbi Yoshua paskin along with all the Chamim there that it was Tameh. Rabbi Eliezer kept arguing, kept arguing, kept arguing, even if they poskined, like Rabbi Yoshua, because that was the majority, Rabbi Eliezer kept going and would not take back his psak. And when they did that, they were metame, all of the taharos that Rabbi Eliezer had, and they threw him out of the base medrash and placed him in cherem. They excommunicated him. He never came out of that cherem. He stayed, and Rabbi Akiva is the one who had to tell him. Rabbi Akiva went in, and he went four almost away from him, sat down without, you know, took off his shoes and sat down in front of him. And he said, Kamadumali, it appears to me, Rebbe, that they put you in Cherem. Rebbe Eliezer cried and caused a third of the crops in the world to be destroyed. Rebbe Eliezer was an extremely powerful person. Rebbe Eliezer said Tachnun. The next time he was able to say Tachnun, and his wife didn't stop him, Ima Shalom, the sister of Rebbe Gamliel, Rebbe Gamliel, the Nasi of Klau Yisrael, died. That's how crazy 
awesome Rabbi Eliezer was. Rabbi Eliezer was an unbelievable individual. And he said about himself, it's a Gemara in Sukkah, he said about himself that he never said anything that didn't come from his Rebbe. That he said everything was coming from his Rebbe. He felt that he had no chidushim, that everything was coming from that. So obviously even this psak on the Tzernur Shalachanai, he felt was a psak from Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai that was coming from Beis Hillel. And for whatever reason, Rabbi Yoshua wouldn't accept it, the other Chachamim wouldn't accept it. Rabbi Eliezer died in Cherem outside of the yeshiva. Outside of the yeshiva. Rabbi Akiva would visit him often. And the Gemara goes through the different types of magic that Rabbi Eliezer knew. Some unbelievable things over there. After he passed away, the Gemara says that Rabbi Akiva was walking away, beating himself, beating himself and making himself bleed. Literally hitting himself until he was bleeding, right? Crying out that I have tons of money and I have no money changer to give it to. I don't know what to do with it. I have no person to exchange my money with. Obviously what that meant, he has so many Shilohs and he has no one to ask those Shilohs to, what am I supposed to do? But he was beating himself until he bled. So how is that not an issue of Seret Lenefesh Lo Sitnu Biv Sarchan? You're not allowed to scratch yourself for the dead. How in the world could Rebbe Akiva possibly do such a thing? Now, Tosafot, you can't even start with that, Shlomo. Don't even give me, don't even pretend that you're going to answer this question yet. Tosafot over here, over there, and the Mizrahi over here, both explain that it might be different. Now, why might it be different? Because he wasn't hurting himself over the death of his Rebbe. That's not what he was doing. That's what Tosafot says. He wasn't hurting himself over the death of his Rebbe. He was hurting himself over the lost Torah that he'll never be able to learn again. Now that his Rebbe passed away, he'll never be able to ask those Shilas ever again. So they're lost. They're lost completely. So he said, Oy vey, and that's what he was beating himself up over, causing himself to bleed over the lost Torah. And then he goes, there is another answer over there. There's another answer that says that the only thing that's forbidden is Srita, scratching yourself. But if you hit yourself and you end up bleeding, then it's mutter. What the nafkamina is, that's already a Shiloh and Tosfos. But that's the first answer that we're not going to deal with. The second answer, this one that I just said, of he wasn't hurting himself over the death of his Rebbe, he was hurting himself over the Torah that was lost, that's right over there. Now, one might apply that to any other Tsar, other than death as well, right? Meaning, it would be mutter to do anything else as long as it's not for death. The only thing the Pusik says is Seret Lenefesh. As long as it's not about death, even if it is about death, but it's more about my Torah lost than the death, then it should be mutter. So anything could go. If I want to scratch myself and cause myself to bleed for any terrible thing that happens, not only is it putter, it would be mutter, the way the Beis Yosef said it. It would be perfectly fine and mutter. But again, that doesn't make much sense. Number one, right, the first question is, it seems everyone would still say such a thing is usher. It seems every other region aside from the Beis Yosef would say that such a thing would be usher. Even the tour that says the word putter is clear that he's not saying mutter. That's not going to be something that we'd allow you to do to just scratch yourself because something bad happened. Rabbi Kiva might be a Tana and can argue such a thing, but that's that. Number two, why would this make any difference? With the fact that you're, scr- you're cutting yourself over Torah that's lost is essentially because the Talmud Chacham died. That's what you're doing. The fact that I'm doing it, it's the strangest thing in the world. You can go up to a guy. Not always are they cutting themselves or doing something because somebody passed away. It's because something's lost. Something's lost in the system. Why in the world would that be any different? So the Maskele David suggests a really interesting answer. He says, when Rebbe died, Rebbe Yudanasi, the Gemara in Sota says, Butla Kiddusha. 
Butla Kedusha. Everyone asks what that means. What does that mean, Butla Kedusha? Kedusha was gone. And one of the explanations is, Butla Kedusha's Kahuna. All Kohanim were allowed to be Metame for him. Right? Meaning, normally, a Kohen cannot be Metame for anyone that dies. We know that except for a close relative, one of the seven. But for Rebbe, Butla Kahuna. Every Kohen can come and help Rebbe be buried. Every Kohen can go to the cemetery and make sure that Rebbe is buried properly. So all the Kohanim that normally would never go to a cemetery, they would never be Metame themselves. They were Mavato Derkuna and they came to bury Rebbe Yudanasi. Tosus and Ksuvus says when Rabbeinu Tam passed away, Rabbeinu Chaim HaKohen Paskind, that everyone was allowed to be Metame for him because Tzadikim are not really dead. And that's in Tosfos, and that's what they had. We obviously have not done this recently, I'd say within the last couple hundred years, even by somebody like Rav Chaim Knievsky, Rav Yosef, great, great tzaddikim. We have never totally martyred Kohanim going to cemeteries for them if they're not direct relatives, right? We haven't done that. But regardless, this is an actual psak, and that's what they poskined in Tosfos itself. And maybe you can answer that over here as well. Rabbi Eliezer was not considered dead really. He was a tzaddik of such a caliber that even when he died, he's not really dead. But Lakuna, the kuna is gone. Even Kohanim could be Matame for him because there's no Tuma. If so, cutting yourself when a person like Rebbe Eliezer dies would be mutter. Because you're not cutting yourself for the dead. You're cutting yourself over the loss of Torah. There is no real death going on there. That's the answer the Moscow of it says. And that's the concept of what Tosus is saying. There's, yes, cutting yourself for the dead would be usher. But cutting yourself for an awesome tzaddik would be mutter because it's all about the Torah and it's not about death. That's the idea behind it. That's an unbelievable answer from the Moscow Ladovit. The Be'er Basada says another reason. He says, the reason why the Amori used to hurt themselves for someone that died, because they didn't believe that the, the, the life, the soul, lives on after death. They didn't believe in life after death. They just believed that when you were gone, you were gone, and that was it. So when someone passes away, they're gone forever. Therefore, they would cut themselves over sadness and sar oy vey. That's terrible. They're gone forever, and there's nothing they'll be able to do. But we believe that the soul goes on to a better place. So we would never hurt ourselves for that reason. However, if we do believe that the soul lives on, and we're hurting ourselves because we were sad, we're upset that that person is gone and the Torah is lost as Rebbe Akiva did, then it seems that such a thing would not be included in the Yisr and would be allowed. And that's what Tosis meant. If the whole reason for it is that they didn't believe in life after death, then if you believe in life after death, that shows you're not cutting for that guy that died. You're cutting for something else, and that would be mutter. That wouldn't be included in the Easter. That's a crazy thing, and I don't think we would ever allow it, because somebody could fake it and say, of course I believe in the life after death. I'm cutting over the Torah, and they're really cutting over the mace. Right? That would be a problem. But regardless, says the Verbasada, that could possibly be mutter. And he then says, it's possible... That even the base Yosef that says it's mutter to hurt yourself over a boat that drowned or some other tsar that happens to you, right, to get over your pain, since we know there are people that cry out loud and scream, and that helps them. Sometimes you just need a good scream. Sometimes you just need to, like, yell. And maybe that's enough. It's possible that this would help them bury their worries, get those things out of their system. Then it might be mutter. 
But stam, for no reason at all, it would certainly be forbidden even according to the base Yosef. Even the base Yosef would agree that such a thing would be usher. Now, before we go on, I'm just going to mention something. Obviously, cutting is not a healthy habit. If somebody does have this type of habit in which they're cutting themselves in order to get rid of pain, you are dealing with something that must be done immediately. This is something that could kill a person and definitely set them up for life with issues and problems. That's something that we're, we're taking out of here. We are talking about a one-time thing where that was something that you felt you needed, whatever it is. But if it's something that's done any time more than that, for sure that would be us, sir. That's maiming yourself for no reason whatsoever, and there's no heter for that. Even the base Yosef, who says that it may be mutter, I, I'm going with the bare basad over here, even he would agree that such a thing, which would be damaging to one's health, without a question, would be forbidden. And I refer that to any mental health professional to know whether this can be done or not be done. I'm dealing with the Torah and the law behind it. I'm not necessarily dealing with individuals and whether or not they should, shouldn't, can, can't, be cutting. Okay, this is, I'm, I'm hoping I'm being clear about this. I am not giving this whole cheer and somebody says, oh, then it's totally mutter, right? And they just go ahead. This is not a carte blanche hetter to be able to do such a thing. Obviously, that's not the point of what we're trying to say. The last thing I'll say about this specific Indian is the Tosefis bracha. Rav Epstein says, it's possible this only applies to a Talmud Chacham. But not to a tzaddik, he says. There's a difference. A Talmud Chacham is somebody who has been learning Torah constantly. When they're lost, the Torah is lost. And everybody here knows that there is no such thing as a Talmud Chacham that's given all of his Torah, that's able to say everything that he's learned. When a Talmud Chacham is gone, everything he's learned is gone with him. He couldn't write down everything. He couldn't give shiurim on everything. It's impossible. So now, the Talmud Chacham is gone completely. A tzaddik. A tzaddik means some Somebody who is a great person. He is an awesome person. He is a tzaddik. He might even be on a higher level than a Talmud Chacham. A guy like Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, who we have very, very few statements of throughout all of Shas and the Midrashim. No, I should say it better. Rabbi Hanina Bendosa has zero, zero statements in Halacha or Agadita throughout all of Shas. Zero. He has a couple in Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, but zero in Shas. Nonetheless, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa may be greater than a Talmud Chacham, but a tzaddik, this would definitely Definitely not be mutter. It's only by a Talmud Chacham, because Tosu says you're crying about the Torah that he's lost, then it might be mutter to do so, but not so by somebody like a tzaddik who does not have the same protection on the generation, who is not the same when it comes to all these things. It's specifically a Talmud Chacham, and that's it, nobody else other than that. Shlomo, yeah, now what? It definitely seems that Chovah Ba'atzmo is mutter in this case if it's done for a reason that's allowing your pain to go away. And again, I'm not doing, getting all the mental issues aside, right? It definitely seems that way. Yes, Chavola and Chovah Ba'atzmo is obviously a problem and it's usher. But Rebbe Akiva did it. And we're trying to answer up. Now that Rebbe Akiva did it, we're wondering why did that happen? That's what Tosis is trying to do. Maybe. I can't tell you that for sure. That, that's definitely not Tosis's answer. If you're, if you're answering that he wasn't trying to make himself bleed, that would be an answer that Tosis would have to give. He doesn't give that. He gives two answers, but he doesn't give that answer. It sounds like he was trying to make himself bleed. Yeah, Matt. Um, if we're talking about the case of Torah being lost, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think it's got to be a little bit of both. It can't just be somebody that you're learning with or somebody who has Torah. It's got to be the level of a Talmud Chacham, and what that level would be is something interesting, but the Gemara defines it somewhere, right? You have the level of a Talmud Chacham, plus the fact that he's somebody that you're so close with, you feel that you lost out in a massive opportunity. I think it has to be a little combination of both. It would be very difficult to matter this nowadays for anyone, even a Reb Chaim Kenyatsky or a Yosef or somebody on that level. It would be extremely difficult to, to really say that, that, even though the definition of a Talmud Chacham, according to the Gemara, which is that you can ask him a Shaila in almost anything and he can answer it, would apply to both of them. It, it, they both would be able to be holding in every sugya you could possibly imagine. It would just be difficult to be able to say. It's a good question. It's a really good question. There's a Balaturim, everybody. The Balaturim says that the word Kuf Ayin Kuf Ayin Kakea, the Ksovas Kakea over here, is the Gematria of 340, which is the Gematria of shame. Name. He says, because the real is- issue, the real Isser, is when you tattoo on yourself a shame of Tuma. Like for Abu Dazar, as it says in Makos Chafal it's the shame of Tuma. If you tattoo an, a, a name of an Abu Dazar on you, that is the major problem. So Mom seems to be a little bit different, unless Mom is your God, right? But that would be a little bit different, but it's specifically that shame itself. Reb Shimon argues in Torah's Kohanim that the Isra is by the shame Hashem, not writing the name of HaKadosh Baruch on you. It still works with this Gematria, because it just says shame. But that would be the problem over here. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says the craziest thing. He says, that's what Yeshu did. This is what Yashka did that he tattooed on himself, and he was able to do the magic that he supposedly did. So, I don't know if anybody knows this, Safer. It's supposedly written by the times of the Rishonim, possibly earlier. It's called Toldos Yeshu. Whether it's legit or not, that's not for me to decide. There are those who question its legitimacy, and I totally understand it, but it's the Toldos Yeshu, and he says, it, it's it's quoted in the second base of Mikdash. The Evan Shisiyah was in place. Remember, the Aron Kodesh is already Gunus. So there was no Aron Kodesh there, right? There was no Tzintzenes Amon or the Mata of, Afra, of Aaron, the, 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 the treasure box, the Aragaz given by the Plishim, the Sefer Torah of Moshe, and all that was gone. In its place in the Kodesh Gedashim was an Evan Shasiyah, the stone that supposedly was the first one that a Kodesh Baruch created the world from or allowed the world to stem from, whatever it means, the Evan Shasiyah that is the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, right, which is the Dome of the Rock. That is the rock that they're referring to over here. Now, apparently... On that rock was engraved the letters of a shame hamafurish, which could be used to do absolutely anything. Absolutely anything. The Prushim didn't want anyone knowing it, so they made copper dogs that they placed by the entrance of the base of Mokad, which would bark loudly and therefore caused anyone who had access to that area and saw the shame to forget it immediately, and they would have no idea. Almost like a security system. That they would all forget it when they went in, when they went out, and they wouldn't have anything whatsoever. What did Yeshu do? He took a cloth, wrote it down on a piece of a cloth, right? Used the shame while he was there to open up his skin without any pain placed the cloth inside his skin, and then closed it up afterward. I have no idea how that's comparable to a tattoo. But regardless, closed it up afterward. 
Obviously, when he came out, he forgot everything, but he still had it in his skin. He forgot the shame, but he had it in his skin. He tore it open at some point later on, took it out, saw what the name was, was able to use whatever it was. He went and he healed a lame person, and then he had somebody else from a mitzora, and he went around and he started doing one thing after the other. The Chachamim realized what he had done. They allowed somebody else to do the same thing, which is shocking, right? And that person went and did something with the issue. I don't even want to mention, I can't even believe this safer is quoted by Rishonim, but it is, and it seems to be that it's written with some legitimacy. I honestly, it, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. But that's part of what it says in Toldos Yeshu. You can see that safer for more, but I'm highly suggesting not to unless you have a lot of time, you have nothing else to do with yourself, right? I'm sure it's on Svaria. So either way, we got... <laughs> it's in English. What do you mean, translate? Do you have it right now? Gosh, I can't. Even, I, I, I can't stand it. Absolutely can't stand it. Just look at the editors. Anyway, so regardless, that is that's what we end up having, and that's from there. That's how the Rabbeinu Ephraim says that he was able to do it. Again, how that's comparable to a tattoo, I'm not sure. But the Rabbeinu Ephraim brings it up. He's a reshown, and he says that's what he did. So that's what we have over here. Okay. So now let's get into the Isser. Why exactly was this Isser? What's the problem? Exactly. What are we worried about exactly? So the Rambam in Makos, the Rambam Parish Mishnah in Makos, and the Bechor Shor, they both say it was a chok for Avodah Zarah back then. They tattooed themselves for their Avodah Zarah. And by the way, as a side note, this is what many tribes still do today. They still have this idea of tattoos that tell their story all over their body. I think it's the Maori tribe. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. I don't remember what exactly it is. But they have tattoos all over their body that tell over the story of their gods and whatever it is. They tell over all these things. And there are different tribes that do the exact same thing. Hawaiian, the original Hawaiians, whatever it is, with the king and everything. They used to do this all the time to be able to get down exactly and they accept the deity by writing it on their skin and tattooing it on. Yeah, you understand? I, I, there's no way that you could take away just from a reason. He's giving a basic reason, but it's not that you take away the Easter because the reason's gone. Sort of like Corbanos. He says Corbanos is because you have sheep, goats, and cows that were, you know, that was the gods of certain nations. So we sacrificed them specifically to a Kaddish Baruch Hu in order to knock them down. But yet in Hilchus Me'ila, at the very end, he says Corbanos are a chok. So what does he mean by the reason? And Mori Nebuchadnezzar, he gives a reason, and yet and he says the Chok over there. And the answer is, he's giving you a reason that could help you understand it, but you wouldn't take away the, the Isser because the reason no longer applies. You know what I'm saying? Like, that wouldn't apply over here. Sefer HaChinuch says the exact same thing. It's based out of Orozara. That was the problem. They were dedicated and slaved to the idol. So just like you would stamp a slave, that this guy is your own, they would stamp their slaves with tattoos, etc. The Sforno says, the reason a tattoo is forbidden because you're making a permanent sign on your skin that Hashem didn't want. Hashem allowed you that bris mila. That is our permanent sign. That is our, so to speak, our tattoo. You can't have another one. There can't be another. Avadayim, they're my avadim, says Hashem. Lo avadim, la avadim. They're not slaves to other people. And if you have a tattoo, you're a slave to something else. You're a slave to something different. Says the Sforno, that's that. The Mamalois talks about this as well. Dibben Ezra says, he he seems to connect it with death. Because remember, I said up above, the Ibn Ezra puts the two together, Seret Lenefesh and the tattoos. He says, people tattooed themselves to connect themselves to the dead, perhaps to converse with the dead, or even to remind themselves of the dead, and therefore they would never forget the dead. They'd have that on them at all times. And Itziv says that people would either do it themselves, or they would hire others to cut them and put the tattoo on them if they didn't want to do it themselves. Obviously, this is us no matter what. You can't do it yourself 
himself, he can't do it to other people. It, all of that is there. Rabbi Victor Miller says something beautiful. He says, we know the Gemara Pesachim Nindalim and Aleph that there were three matters that were planned by Hashem. Three things that a Baruch Hu planned out and said, here's what's going to happen. Number one, the dead should rot. Number two, that the dead should be forgotten after they die. And number three, that produce should rot as well. All three are done on purpose. Victor Miller says, regarding the first two, in this world, everything must die. If people were to intensely mourn, intensely mourn, and not get over someone who passed away, it would frustrate the world plan, where our plan is that you're supposed to live with simcha. If you were constantly upset over something bad that happened and you weren't able to forget it, if you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to live your life. You wouldn't be able to do anything. It would frustrate exactly what the world plan is. So instead, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it unbelievable that a body that passes away smells. Smells terrible, looks horrible, right? And takes away. And that was part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan to immediately disengage, to immediately bury and not allow the body to stay around. And then he says, death causes us to feel that there is no afterlife. When you see a person vivacious, living and doing everything in the world, and then the body is just sitting there, it looks like there is no afterlife. The body's gone, nothing's left, I don't see a soul anywhere, you feel like there's nothing there. It's the great lie what death is and what the Malachim of us does. It's a deception, he calls it. That's why we immediately put the body away so people no longer think about it, they get around. If a person cuts themselves over it, tattoos himself over it, reminds himself constantly that that person that now has passed away is still there, if he keeps doing it over and over and over again, he'll never be able to get them out of his head, he'll never be able to enjoy life, he won't be able to live. That's why Rav Huna, the Gemara Moed Katan Chavches, yelled at the woman, the woman who was mourning excessively over her son that died, stop, stop, stop. And when she didn't, her next son died. And when she didn't, her next son died. And when she didn't, she died. Because that's what a Kaddish Baruch Hu had, says Rav Victor Miller. The whole point behind this is to stay away because that's not our purpose in life. Our purpose is not to connect with something that's gone. Our purpose is to connect with the living, to keep going, to build, and to be something greater in this world with Simcha. Yes. You're right. Visiting a grave would also be a problem if it's excessive. If it's excessive. Going once in a while on the yurt site to remind yourself that that person who passed away still is in Shemaim and can daven for you and can have some connection with you is good. But if you go excessively, if you're there constantly, then that's a problem. That's a problem. There are examples of people that have done this constantly. Constantly. And I don't know, I, I, maybe that's why Chabad feels that the Rebbe is not dead because he is a tzaddik, was a tzaddik, I should say, and a tzaddik that passes away is not considered like they're dead and therefore they retain that connection even afterward. But I don't see something good. I, I, I can't. I can't see something good with a constant going around and being around and trying to connect with somebody like that. That seems weird to me. I definitely wouldn't fax them questions. That I definitely wouldn't do. Right? That seems a little off to me. But regardless, that's that's something that I think they're dealing with over here. Now, there is a sifzah coming over here, right? And remote Feinstein. Ramosha says something awesome. Says it was the way of the nations to be upset when someone passed away because they don't know what to do from that point on. Let's say that man was the main breadwinner of the family. Let's say he didn't get insurance. So after he passes away, the family's like, what are we going to do? 
What are we going to do? He was the main breadwinner. He made all the money. Now that he's gone and we don't have insurance, we have no other way to pay for anything, everybody gets all worried. The, the woman, the wife, the children, what are they going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they're all worried. But that type of thinking, says Ramosha, is a massive mistake. It's a massive mistake. Hanhaga Sa'olam, the way the world works, is always through Ashkacha Pratis. It's always with the Kaddish Baruch Hu involved. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care of the widows and orphans. That's what he does. I know it seems hard, because what do you mean? The guy was making $500,000 a year. Now that he's gone, how is that widow going to make $500,000 a year? You're right. It's a solid question. We don't have to have the answers to every question. But that doesn't mean you're all of a sudden gone and you feel like, I can't go anymore. There's nothing else I can do. You feel like you're going to give up. If a Kaddish Baruch Hu could give that man the ability to make $500,000 a year, then there's something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu could do for everybody. And maybe it's not going to be 500000 But you know what? Maybe it's more. Maybe it's more. Maybe that woman now joins whatever her husband's business was. It makes more money than what her husband does. The point is, is that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there, you don't have to worry. There's no worries. And I'm not telling you, practically speaking, that's easy. That when somebody passes away, you're just like, well, it's fine. <laughs> that's obviously not the way to be when it comes to anything. But it means to be able to say to yourself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has helped me until now. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help me in the future. And that's what you're supposed to do. Otherwise, it's Darche Emori. That's the problem with the tattoo. Tattooing or getting involved with scratches means you're saying to yourself, it's about this guy. It's about him. He did it. He is the one who helped me. But it's not. It's about Hashem. It's about a Kaddish Baruch who gave you all that power in the first place. Don't deny that Hashkacha. Don't deny that that happened. That's the idea behind it. So what are you upset about? You're upset about the loss of Ruchnius. That guy is not going to be able to do any mitzvahs anymore. That guy won't be able to help somebody else learn. That guy cannot grow any more than he did before he passed away. That's over. That's it. There's nothing else there. For that reason... It may be more appropriate, he says, to mourn an older person that passes away than a younger person. Because why? Because the older person may have been able to accomplish more in his generation than a younger person ever could do. We think to ourselves, what good did it mean, did it do for Revel Yashiv to live at the age of 102, right, and to be sitting there barely able to get out of bed or barely able to speak? What good was it? You know what? Revel Yashiv's chus of being in this world, having a person like him, did more for the world than a thousand other people sitting and learning in Kolel. Just one person, Revel Yashiv, being there, had that chus that's there. And again, I'm not... Toskening, la, la, la. I don't know. Kaddish Baruch could be up there and be like, it's actually 642. I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. But the idea is, is that obviously Rebel Yashiv is there. There's a strange Gemara that I re- I never, ever understood. But then I saw this Ramosha. Reish Lakish is dying. It's a Gemara in Bab Metzia, Pegam Olaves, Pegdalid, Amad Aleph, Pegdalid Amad Aleph, and Reish Lakish is dying. Reb Yochanan, right, his Chavrusa, had said something and it was because he got upset that Reish Lakish was dying. Right, Rabbi Yochanan was such a great man, him getting upset could cause a person to die. Rish Lakish's wife, Rabbi Yochanan's sister, goes up to him and says, Davin, Davin, the Rish Lakish should get better. She's begging him to Davin. And Rabbi Yochanan said, I'll take care of you. Like, that's cold. That's cold. Like, just Davin for your brother-in-law, that your, your sister is begging for the orphans, for herself. Right? To be able to help us, help us. Says Ramosha. Rabbi Yochanan was saying is that Reish Lakish's wife, his sister, was saying, what are we going to do without Reish Lakish? How are we going to go on without Reish Lakish? Rabbi Yochanan said, if that's your reason, then I won't daven for Reish Lakish to live. 
You want him to be around because you can't go on without him? Because he's taking care of your kids? Because he's making money? That's why you want him? Then I, that, that's not a good enough reason to doubt him for him to live. If you tell me he has to be here because he has to learn, Rabbi Yochanan afterward didn't have a chavrus after that point. Rabbi Yochanan couldn't learn at that point and he himself died because he didn't have anyone to learn with. Even Rabbi Yochanan Pattis couldn't be the same as Reish Lakish. If you're going to say that, that's a different story. But you're going to say because you don't think you can go on without Reish Lakish. What's going to be without Reish Lakish? That's denying Ashkacha. That's denying Akarish Baruch Hu in this world that you're not allowed to do. And that's what he told her. What an unbelievable emotion. I, I, it, it, it's a crazy, crazy line. There's a Shach Torah that seems to say the exact same thing, by the way. The Shach, obviously 400 years before Ramosha, but he talks about this as well. Clearly there's a reason why anything happens and goes on. And then Rav Hirsch. And I might have to end with this, with, with this Rav Hirsch over here, even though I do have a Rosh over here in Imre Noam and Oral Chaim. Oh, there's good. And I even have like a crazy tattoo. The Tzioni says something about the issue of Dad Saidi Sada that Asaf. Did you guys know that Asaf, according to Tzioni, had a tattoo of a Nachash on his leg? Tattoo of a snake on his leg. Nachashrichon is the name that's used for Ishio de Atzayid, and it's translated by the Tzuni as the man with the snake on his leg. Nachashrichon is Nachash on Yerech. That's where it went. They had something on there. It's not a riot, it's a tattoo. It could have been a painting, but regardless. But listen to this reverse. He says, it seems from the wording of the Pasuk that scratching one's skin is not the problem here. The problem is having the scratch on your skin. The scratching is not the issue. The cutting is not the issue. It's afterward, the fact that you have a scratch, you have a cut, that's the problem. We obviously are allowed to tear our clothing when people pass away. That's what we do, right? We tear Kriya. But we never tear our bodies. When tearing a shirt, this is what it means. You're tearing a shirt. What you're saying is, when someone passes away, it caused the tear in the surroundings. It caused the tear in something. I feel horrible what it is. But I myself cannot allow myself to be affected by it. I'm not going to change my avoda Hashem one iota. I remain the same, even though my clothing, the surroundings are different. That's what a person is doing. If you cut yourself in your skin when somebody passes away, that means that our own selves have suffered an irreparable tear, an irreplaceable something. That can never be. No matter how important other people are, and they are, they're unbelievably important, and this, it's obvious. Our own importance, and I'm quoting reverse over here, our own importance and our own self-worth may never end with that person's death. That's what he says. Every person's life has meaning and is important beyond anyone else. You do not need a single other person in this world to live your life. And that's something that everyone must know. Everyone has to realize. That's the idea behind it. Now, when that person passed away, we have to renew our energy to fulfill, to refill that gap that was left with that person's death. The other nations believed that death was a power that was into the suffering of human beings. They wanted human beings to go down, and every time a person suffered, death enjoyed it. Wounding oneself paid homage, right? It paid homage to that deity, allowing that deity to believe, ah, he's on my side, he wants to suffer as well causing your own death to be diverted, maybe, right? It was like a korban to the dead by causing yourself to bleed, by showing that I'm willing to die for my korban. That's why it says at the very end over here, Ani Hashem. The end of the Pasuk says, Ani Hashem. 
Hashem is a living God that wants life and not death. You will never have a Kaddish Baruch Hu asking you to bleed for him. I know, bris mila, which is a different story altogether and another issue to get into. But if Hirsch is saying, the concept of Ani Hashem is, I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu who doesn't want death. I only want life. Throwing away your blood is certainly not what he wants. He wants you to be strong enough to do your mission in this world. And if you can do that with simcha, with happiness, with an understanding of what everybody is in this world, then you've accomplished the goal of what a Kaddish Baruch Hu put you in for. That's why it's so bad to cut. That's why it's so bad to even consider all this. That's where this all comes from. The last thing i got to ha- tell everybody, if you have the time, check out Aleinu L'Shabach. Talked about a Jewish man who had a Star of ta- David tattooed on his hand because his mother was forced to marry an Arab when she was she she made sure that he got this tattoo with the Star of David so that he would never, ever marry an Arab himself. It's a crazy, crazy story. You should read it. It's in the language of on this passage. All right, everybody. We'll stop right there. Have a great job.